You're listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. What is going on, you guys? Hope you're having a fantastic week, whatever your week has looked like up to this point. Uh, We are continuing in our series entitled Threads. This is a series that we're doing in partnership with the uh, Greater Faith Chapel family. And this week, uh, the thread that we are looking at is vineyards and the way that vineyards play out throughout Scripture. Uh, if you're interested in seeing what uh, our church is doing uh, as the at the meta narrative level, just this big long thread that connects throughout uh, biblical history, you can watch all of our services at faithchapel.cc and see how Nate is doing that. Uh, for us, we're going to dig into three passages here for young adults, and um, it's not really one consistent thought. It's not one idea represented by three different passages, but it's instead three different ideas that are beautifully orchestrated um, through the the description and the use of vineyards. And it's amazing how God and the authors of scripture um, can take this idea, this this idea of a living vineyard, this idea of a, a, a healthy thing that God has created and use it in different ways to communicate different messages. And so um, we have a couple long passages, really one passage off the top that's fairly long in the book of Matthew, and then a couple other passages, and we're going to try to apply it uh, to our world today, world today as we always do. So where we're going to start is the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 20, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 16. So bear with me. It's a long passage, uh, but it's important that we get the whole thing. A little bit of context here is Jesus is teaching, and Jesus is telling the story, this parable, and uh, there's a couple questions that I want to ask out of this passage. So Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three as well in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked him, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his, to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These these who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired the last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. A long passage but poses a couple really important questions. The first question I would pose is this, are we focused on what God has given us or others? I think that we can look at this from a couple different vantage points. One, for those of us who've been following Jesus for a long time, how do we feel about people who find the grace of Jesus after living lives separate from him? Personally, 
Uh, I've fought the desire to know what life was like without faith. I've literally felt jealousy over the testimony of those who live life. And I, if I'm being completely honest, man, there have been times when I've heard people's stories and, um, man, they step into the love and the grace of Jesus. And there's part of my humanity that's like, that's amazing. Like God is so good. But there's another part of my humanity, the, the, the not so great side of my humanity is like, that's not fair. Like they got to do all the things that I avoided for so long. And yet they're still in relationship with Jesus like I am today. And I, I think that it's culminated in a couple different things throughout my life. But I always think of a story of when I was interning here at the church and I was actually sitting down with our executive pastor at the time and we were just talking and he was like, Hey, tell me your story. And I I started to tell my story. And then I was like, you know what? I was just nervous because I was talking to my executive pastor. And so I was like, Hey, why don't, why don't you tell me your story? And so he tells me his testimony and it's like wild and, and, uh, full of ups and downs and and peaks and valleys and all of these different things. And then I go to tell my story and and I started with, well, my story is kind of boring, (laughs) Um, and I, you know, took the next 25 seconds to tell my story of, you know, the good Christian kid and, and left out the messy parts that, that I didn't want my executive pastor to know. And, um, but all in all, you know, grew up a a pretty, pretty, uh, straight edge Christian kid. And so my testimony isn't wild by any stretch of imagination. And I started it with that phrase, well, my story is kind of boring, and my executive pastor at the time said, hey, don't ever, ever disqualify your story. He's like, I love hearing stories like yours because it just reminds me that mistakes don't have to be made to experience the love of Jesus. Pain doesn't have to be had to experience the love of Jesus. There doesn't have to be more valleys than there are mountaintops. And he, he just kind of affirmed me and encouraged me. And it was such an eye-opening moment for me as a guy in his early 20s to be like, wow, like, yeah, you're right. Like God saved me from a lot of pain, a lot of agony, and that doesn't create a boring story. And it doesn't mean that I should desire to to have the things or do the things that other people have had to go through. Because while there's this part of me as a guy and as a, a human being that's like, man, I could have I could have gone and experienced all of these things and lived some sinful lifestyles and and kind of satisfied my flesh and like I missed out on that, but all that does is lead to pain and agony and brokenness. If you talk to people who have experienced that, or maybe you are one of those people who have experienced that. And so, uh, I have to, to always come back to the fact that Jesus uniquely appointed and uniquely used my life, just like he does yours, just like he does everybody's. And so we, we can't be people who are get, who get in to the comparison game. And I think that too often our humanity drives us to think about what's fair, but maybe we should stop focusing on what we think is fair and realize that we don't deserve any of the love that Jesus gives us. And yet he loves us without hesitation, whether we've lived a, a semi clean lifestyle, a very messy lifestyle, um, the, the most mother Teresa led life that we could possibly live like, or, or somewhere in between all of those things. Like Jesus loves us right where we're at. And that's an amazing thing that we have a God who has the capacity to love us in the midst of all of our brokenness and all of our messiness and all of our failure and, and all of our successes that Jesus is big enough for all of those things. And this is a question that I think really haunts the church and followers of Jesus is this, this idea. Um, I think we like it in principle that Jesus redeems and saves at that moment of surrender. Um, but I think that our flesh and our humanity, um, especially those who have been following Jesus for a really long time, struggle with that when it, when it comes to other people, I will never forget. Um, I was in third grade and I remember having a conversation in my little private school 
and uh, my my teacher lays out the scenario of this this guy on his deathbed. He's like in his 80s or 90s, and he's lived a life that is of you know sin and debauchery and all these different things. And I'm guessing that what she listed was actually pretty meek, considering we were third graders. I hope she wasn't too detailed or too graphic, but um, she said you know, on his deathbed, he decided to follow Jesus. He surrendered. He got to spend eternity in heaven. Like, do you think that that's fair? And I cannot tell you how split a bunch of nine-year-olds were on this. Like there are people who are spitting mad at the idea of somebody getting to, to live a life like that or doing all of those things and then getting to spend eternity with Jesus. And then there was another half of us that were like, wow, that like, that's amazing. And I think that even in third grade, I, I was torn. I, I think that, man, my, my parents raised me to be very grace oriented. And I was really excited about this hypothetical guy um, getting to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. But also there was a part of me that's like, man, that's not fair. Like, that's not fair that he, he would get to do that. And I think that that's the beauty of grace and that's the beauty of forgiveness is that, that it's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. What Jesus did is not fair. Um, in fact, we don't deserve any of what he did for us, but he did all of it and he paid all the price. And so whether we get the opportunity to, to surrender our lives as a five-year-old or, or a 95-year-old, man, his grace is sufficient. It can cover our sin. And, and I think what's really interesting in a perspective that we have to remember to have is that just because we surrendered our lives early on doesn't mean that our life is not full of sin, that we still have sin. It might look different than it would have without Jesus, or it might look the same because we're just not fully surrendered, but his grace is sufficient. And would we not live lives of comparison and we not live lives trying to focus on fairness, but would we just live lives of surrender in awe of Jesus and everything that he does? I think that it, it, it is important for us to know that God is not concerned with the timing of our surrender. We are, as human beings, we're concerned with timing a lot. Um, we want our timing in our relationships, in our vocations, in our faith. We want timing in our, in our answered prayers. Timing is everything, but God is not handcuffed by our timing and God is not concerned with timing. He just wants to see surrender and he wants to see uh, faithfulness and I think that, that for those of us who've been following Jesus for a really long time is that things don't always happen on our timeline, but Jesus is always faithful and he always keeps his promises. And so would we always have that perspective that we serve a God who keeps his promises? The second question I would ask is this, is can we celebrate the people around us? Can we celebrate the people around us? Um, that goes for salvation for sure. That's kind of what we've already touched on, but but I wonder if we can celebrate the gifts that God has given to those around us. Can we avoid that life of comparison instead just champion people, just champion people's gifts, champion people's lives, be, be proud of people, be excited for people, don't be envious of people, but truly, truly celebrate and champion people. What if we celebrated alongside instead of becoming bitter, instead of becoming resentful? One of our core values at Faith Chapel is God is generous, so we are too, and as God is generous with gifts, can we be generous with our posture towards the gifts that he's given people? Not not live a life of envy or bitterness or resentfulness, but, but just be excited and, and be generous with our posture, generous with our words of encouragement, generous with our words of affirmation, generous with our championing, that we wouldn't just champion the people that we want to champion, but that we would see God doing incredible things in and through people, and we would 
take it upon ourselves to be a community that champions others well. Truly, my prayer is that this community would not be full of people who are envious of what is happening in the lives of others, but that we would cheer on what God is doing in the individuals and in the communities and in the surrounding communities of believers, that we would never, ever find ourselves sitting in envy or bitterness, but we would always be people who champion others. The next passage I want to look at is another parable that's that's pretty simple, but I think it's profound and I think it's really important. It's found in the book, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. It says, Then he told this parable. This is Jesus again. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but it did not, but he did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. The next point this week is we have the greatest advocate possible. See, in this parable, there are three characters, so to speak. God is the owner. Jesus is the one taking care of the vineyard. And the tree is God's people, the nation of Israel, or you and I. It can be easy to look at the death and resurrection of Jesus as his moment of advocacy, but I hope we would see that Jesus is advocating for us daily. Just give them some more time. Just I just need to fertilize it. I just I just need to dig around it. I need to fertilize it. I, I it's, it's going to bear fruit. Just watch. Just watch. Don't cut it down yet. Don't bring your wrath yet. Don't bring the axe yet. Don't cut this tree down. Just give it some more time. It just needs a little bit more nurturing. So the question is never whether Jesus is willing to feed us or or give us water. The question is, are we willing to be fed? Are we willing to accept what is necessary in order for us to grow? Are we willing to be tended to? And that's going to look different for each one of us, but it's going to be hard work no matter where we find ourselves. Watering, pruning, and much more will be necessary for you and I to grow. And it's really important for us to look at the context and timing of this parable from Jesus. It's just months before the crucifixion. And there's a specific time that, that um, the, the man who owns his vineyard, he says this, he says, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree. Well, how long was Jesus's ministry? Three years. There's three years of Jesus walking and teaching and performing miracles. And yet not everyone is coming to faith. In fact, I think we look at, look at the ministry of Jesus and we just expect that there were hundreds and hundreds of thousands, millions of people that were following Jesus. But, but Jesus was in a small region doing small things. And, and you know, he, there wasn't the internet at the time. It's not like his miracles were being told all over the world. It was just small groups of people that were coming to faith and starting to follow Jesus and be discipled there. It was a, a humble beginning that is now 2,000 years later full of millions, if not billions of people but what we have to understand is that Jesus, so this is months before his crucifixion, and it's him talking to the people that he's ministering to. And he's saying, like, hey, I'm asking for just a little bit more time before I have to go to the cross. Just a little bit more time, just a little bit more time. And there's significant things that happen in the life of Jesus between the ti- the timing and the, the telling of this parable and with the crucifixion. And there are miracles, there are conversations, but one of the biggest miracles is the resurrection of Lazarus. And the resurrection of Lazarus is like a keystone moment in the ministry of Jesus that an entire town experiences this incredible, miraculous thing of a man who had been dead for days being raised and coming back to life and being in relationship with people and not not disappearing, not walking away, but this living, breathing miracle in Lazarus who sits in this community as a representation of the greatness and the goodness and the miraculousness of Jesus. 
And people came to faith because of that. It's really important that we understand that Jesus is pleading on our behalf on a daily basis, that when God is frustrated, when he wants to bring wrath, he sees the blood of Christ over you and I. He sees the forgiveness that his son bought with his own blood. And that that advocacy that Jesus had 2,000 years ago doesn't stop today. He isn't giving up on you. He isn't giving up on me. He is constantly advocating on our behalf. I hope it's an encouragement to each one of us today that even if we aren't producing fruit like we want to yet, we have Jesus right next to us, helping us grow, digging around the hard spots, fertilizing, watering, pruning, doing all of these things. But maybe it's been three years of not producing fruit. Maybe it's been 15, but there's no expiration date on Jesus's willingness to love us, Jesus's willingness to have grace towards us. There's no expiration date on our calling, on our appointment. Jesus is advocating for us every single day. The last passage I want to look at quickly is found in the first 10 chapters of scripture in the story of Noah. You probably know the story of Noah, even if you didn't grow up in church. Here's the Spark Notes version. Um, the earth is full of people who are full of sin. And so Jesus or, for, or God says, I'm going to destroy the world. I'm going to send a flood. I'm going to wipe out all living things. This one family, I'm going to preserve them. They're going to build an ark. He brings animals. He brings vegetation. He brings all kinds of things onto the ark. The world is wiped out by a global flood. This family survives. So where we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 9 is right as they are stepping off the ark. And the, the verse is very simple. It says this, Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. We get to partner in creation. We get to partner in creation. The first thing that Noah did when he got off the ark was plant. The first thing that he did was cultivate. The first thing that he did was nurture. Maybe we're in a good spot. Maybe you're in a good spot today. You're called to partner and create. Maybe you just went through a flood or a fire and you're having to start all over. Maybe that's where we're at, but we're called to partner and create no matter where we're at, we're called to partner, we're called to create. But from the very beginning, God called us to work in tandem with him to create an amazing world. But we have forfeited partnership and responsibility time and time again throughout human history and in our own lives. I can't think of how many times I've forfeited the responsibility and the honor to partner with Jesus to create something in my world, in my friend groups, wherever it may be, to create something amazing. And I have forfeited the responsibility because I was too scared to step into what God was asking me to do, but what if we stopped forfeiting our responsibility and we stepped into it? What could we create? I think there would be some incredible things that God could do in us and through us. But with that, I think we have to ask a second question. And the second question would be this, what will we do with what we create? Unfortunately, the following verse after this, Noah, man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard, is a story about how Noah gets drunk from that vineyard he actually gets drunk and falls asleep naked. His son sees him naked. There's this entire story about the brokenness of humanity just like on full display. God saves this one family and this, the humans are just going to human and, and they, they, they're broken and there's dishonor and there's all of these things that happen. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with what we create? We cannot just be people who settle with creating something but commit to being people who create something worthwhile. In my humble opinion, one of the greatest tragedies is the followers of Jesus are not the most creative people on the planet. We are connected to the creator. We need to make a commitment to being at the forefront of the most creative industries, music, movies, art, clothing lines, and more. 
But that that's just a tangent. I think the real tragedy is that we have taken a backseat to creating the healthiest communities. We've taken a backseat when it comes to creating the healthiest relationships. We've taken a backseat to creating the healthiest families. We are letting culture, we are letting the world determine what it looks like to be in healthy community or providing the healthiest community for the people around us. Instead, too often followers of Jesus are creating inclusive or exclusive, exclusive communities where people don't feel welcome. They're creating social clubs. They're not creating families that are bringing people in and showing them the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. They aren't creating the healthiest areas and in their relationships, their marriages, their friendships, all those things. We are not becoming people who are at the forefront of creating the most beautiful things. And would we would never ever forget that we are connected to the creator and that we have the greatest cultivator, the greatest nurturer, the greatest gardener ever. And so when we're trying to figure out how to build a healthy marriage or trying to figure out how to build a healthy friendship or, or trying to build a healthy community, we we not think about what we want to do, but we tap into what he wants to do. We get this amazing opportunity to be creators. And my hope is that we would use that opportunity to make a world that God looks at with pride. So let's do that individually. Let's do that. Let's create beautiful things with Jesus in our individual lives, but let's lock arms as a community of followers of Jesus and say, man, we are not going to settle. We're not going to settle. We're going to be creative we're going to be creators. We're going to be nurturers. We're going to be gardeners. We're going to plant vineyards, and those vineyards are going to do incredible things. We're going to create sources of life that people can tap into. There's a scripture that says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So would we be people who are connected to Jesus, that we are offshoots of the healthy vine that is Jesus Christ? And would we create something beautiful that God looks at with pride and says, yes, yes, that's what I intended. That's the kind of community. That's the kind of friendships. That's the kind of marriages. That's the kind of world. And would we partner with him to create a world that he is proud of? Thank you for listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. If you are in the Billings area, we would love to see you at our in-person gatherings on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're unable to attend in person, there are always ways to engage online. Follow along through Instagram at faithchapel.ya or find our ministry page at faithchapel.cc. You are loved.